Welcome to another episode of the MMA on Point live chat. Jason, unfortunately, is still disfigured from his sparring sessions with Jake Paul, but we have a special guest today. It is MMA on Point Reuter. You guys should know him very well. He also works for the Body Lock. It is the great Anthony Walker. What a pleasure, Anthony. A beautiful time to be joined by you again, sir. Oh, man, I'm just so happy to be here with you, Petey, man. We, it's been a long time since we've gotten some work in together. And when I knew you were coming over to MMA On Point, I knew this moment would come. It is time to make this live chat sexy. Let's get it. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it is very sexy already, I must say. Um, will we get a word from Jason, our voice of God, just to tell you people that he isn't dead, just in case you're worried. Jason, can you give us a few lines there, please, just to let the people know? Uh, hey, everybody. I'm okay. <laughs> How are those sparring right. sessions going, mate? Uh, they're going really How's good. How's Jake looking? Um, I was just telling, you know, Anthony, I know he's a big uh, Marvel fan. I've been playing Miles Morales, and now I know all the moves. So uh, the sparring <laughs> sessions have improved. You know, it's going well. It's going good. Going to fight Jake Paul next. Woo! Woo! I can't wait for that. I'm very excited. We had, we had a week off of uh, UFC last weekend. Uh, I was watching KSW 48. There was also XMMA. Uh, James Vick got KO'd in his return to the sport. But we have a lot to look forward to because we have Overeem v. Volkov and, of course, Corey Sandhagen and Frank Yeager this weekend. So a lot to talk about um, and a lot to uh, opine on as usual, Anthony. Yes, yes. Yeah, let's do it, man. Did you enjoy uh, the weekend without the UFC? Um, you know, I always get excited about it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do all this stuff. And then I end up just watching uh, other MMA cards. So, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's never good. It's never as good as I think it will be. And look, we're in lockdown here in Ireland. There's fuck all to do anyway. So I was happy enough to, to be doing something anyway. You know what I mean? What are you? Yeah. Where are you at now? Like, I mean, are you in lockdown or what's the crack? Um, yeah, I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles County right now. So it's... um. It's like a semi-state of lockdown. They, they try to lift some restrictions, but a lot of it doesn't make any sense. California isn't exactly taking a, a intelligent, uh, consistent response to this. So it is what it is. I mean, I live a pretty self-contained life anyway. I work from home, wife works from home, uh, taking care of my kid. And that's that's pretty much it. So I'm binge watching and, you know, I'm writing all day. So that's all I do, man. Can't argue with that, man. Can't. I'm, I'm trying to still uh, learn as much about American football as possible. So I feel like I know something ahead of the Super Bowl. I'm watching all of the all or nothings on Prime. I still don't have a clue what's going on. I just kind of nod at the TV and pretend I know. And that's what I'm going to do when I'm watching the Super Bowl, too. I'm, I'm the wrong person to ask about football. Like when I moved to L.A., <laughs> I just lost all touch with football. I'm from from the D.C. area and I couldn't watch my home team without going to a sports bar at 9 a.m. and getting drunk all day. So I was like, <laughs> no, I'm done with this. And then when I started working in MMA media, like there's so much fight content out there that I just, you know, just did not have enough brain power left to add more, more sports to the mix. So it's all fights for me. Fights, comics. And, um, you know, just random in intelligent nonsense that I like. Eh. Eh. Well, I mean, if it's if it's drinking at 9 a.m. and that's how you get into football, I think I'll be into that. I might move over to Los Angeles County myself and get into the, <laughs> the Washington football team if that's the crack. But uh, you, let's get I wasn't training today, man. I'd be drinking right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm drinking. My coffee. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd have whiskey in my coffee right now. But, you know, <laughs> keep it right because I got training later today. Well, I don't know if you guys right, noticed Jay, that, but I put it on the screen. That's what football is. There's the definition. Wow. So I, I hooked you up. I, I got you. I got you set there. Thanks so much, man. But you're um, always looking after me. <laughs> but yeah, you were uh, you were looking to tee it up. So we're bringing back 
our segment, the Kumite Crunch. We haven't done it in a couple of weeks. So if you guys aren't familiar with this, the entire idea of this is to run through, get a bunch of hot takes on topics, and then we'll go through them deeper afterwards. But this is to get us started off, to get the, the basics here. So let's jump right into it. So I'll queue up the questions, and then I'll hand it off. So Anthony, I think we're going to start with you on this first one. So we got the main event coming up this weekend. We got Overeem versus Volkov. What does this mean for either man's career? You got one minute on the clock. Go ahead now. I, this this uh, is pretty interesting uh, juxtaposition there. For Overeem, this means either you're propelled back into title contention or it means you are getting sent to the graveyard. I think with the loss here, Overeem is probably going to be in another promotion. He's someone who's been close to the title but has never been able to get it. Uh, for Volkov, I mean, that's a big win. To beat Overeem at, at any stage of his career is a signature win, and I think, I think it puts him in that conversation for title contention. The problem is there is a, a gridlock at the belt right now due to John Jones becoming a heavyweight and the the problems they've had making uh, Stipe versus Francis too. So um, either way, either way, the winner is going to sit on the shelf for a little bit, but the loser could have some interesting career prospects once this is all said and done. Wow, that was quick, nice. man. You got nice. it done. It doesn't even need it. You got it done. It doesn't with even like... need that time. Do I get like the extra time back later? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get a repository of just like extra time now. Uh, very impressive. All right. Well, then we'll ask the same question to you then, PT. Uh, see uh, see how this works out for you. So, Overeem versus Volkov, what does it mean, win or loss for either man? I mean, it's it's not the most uh, fantastic main event of all time. I'll say that straight off the bat. I'm actually more interested in Corey V. Edgar, who we're going to be talking about later. But Overeem, it feels like he gets into these situations a lot. And we want to see him do well over here. The European crowd love some over him born in the uk then obviously moved to the netherlands um but every time he gets into one of these situations with the ufc where he just feels like he's on the verge of entering that conversation for the title it seems like he just gets taken out like obviously we had rosenstruck there a while ago um finishing them but i do feel as though a three-fight win streak kind of puts him in that conversation but one thing i will say i saw an interview he did with mma junkie and mike bond and he said if he wins the title he will retire immediately. And I'm thinking, if I'm his manager, that is the last thing I would ever say. That means the UFC are never going to put you in a title conversation. So, I mean, look, it's a huge fight. I agree with Anthony. The downside is not good for Overeem. But uh, the plus side is uh, he's into the title conversation, I guess. Mm. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, pretty interesting takes there. It's an interesting fight for their careers, for sure. So... Yeah, I don't think it's the best main event, but the real story, I think, is the undercard, what's underneath that. And so that moves us on to our second topic here. We got Sandhagen versus Edgar here. So this is obviously at the top of the division, really important fight. Edgar is coming off a somewhat, you know, close decision, controversial, wherever you want to put that against Munoz. But that puts him at the top of the division, and he's fighting Sandhagen. So... What does this mean uh, in terms of title implications, the rankings of the division for either man? And Pizzi, let's go ahead and start with you. One minute on the clock starting now. When you see this booking straight away, it nearly seems unfair to Frankie Edgar because how well Sandhagen's been doing. Obviously, he had that big seven-foot win streak cut short uh, just before he fought Frankie, but I still see him as at the very top of the division. Um, Frankie coming in, as you said, off that Pedro Muno split decision win. It was a big statement in the division. 
Um, but it, it still doesn't it doesn't sit right with me that he's fighting a guy like Sandhagen here, who seems on who who's who's been knocking on the door for so long. Um, to be honest, on paper, I, I think Sandhagen can win this quite easily. Um, whether he can finish Frankie or not, I think that's very difficult to do. Um, he's obviously a warrior, but um, look, if if Frankie somehow beats Sandhagen. That's going to be an astronomical move for him. I don't see it myself, but if he can go in and do that, I didn't see him beating Munoz either, so what do I know? But I think that would be an absolutely huge moment for Frank Yeager this late in his career if he gets a victory. Nicely done. All right. Um, yeah, all right. So then let's switch it on to Anthony. What are your thoughts starting now? Well, I mean, this is obviously huge for Sanhagen. I think that will kick against uh, Marlon Moraes. It kind of put the, the Aljo loss in the rearview mirror. Um, so we have this this bigger image now of Sanhagen as a winner. Depending on how the um, Aljo title challenge goes, this could be very, very big for him. But the thing is, for Frankie Edgar, whenever you fight an opponent this highly ranked, it's always for a title shot. It always is. This is Frank Yeager. Like the the only person that, that gets gifted more title shots is is probably Holly Holm. Um, so I I would definitely expect Edgar with a win to be the next in line for for the belt. It it just doesn't happen any other way. Um, that being said, I don't think he gets past Sanhagen. I think um the length. I think his boxing acumen. I think a lot of what Sanhagen can do is going to neutralize what Frankie is best at. Um, so I think it's going to be a rough night for him. But if he gets past it, man, this is clear clear next title shot whether it's deserved or not wow way to land that right on target dude that's nice um (laughs) yeah really great take there um i'm curious should should this be you know just to toss this one out there as a bonus question should this be who's fighting for the title next i'll throw it back to you walker um not off the top of my head I, i wouldn't say so um, more so for Sanhagen, it would make sense, mm. but yeah, I, I, quite honestly, man, I think there's just so many question marks at Bantamweight right now because you have this, this like mix of, of the, the flyweights as well. So Henry Cejudo's probably coming back despite what, you know, whatever has been, he's been saying about demanding more pay. He's probably going to be back pretty soon. I, I would guess. Um, there's also the talk of, uh, Figueroa moving up. He's saying he's got like a few fights left maybe at, at flyweight, um, Garbrandt has entered the flyweight title picture, but that's probably going to be, if he beats, uh, Figueroa, that's probably going to get him a bantamweight title shot. Like, it's just, it's just such a mess. I, I'd rather have this fight play out and then sort it out when, when it's over with. Hmm. What do you I think, think the biggest thing, I think the biggest thing from Sandhagen's point of view is just the name value of Frankie Edgar. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like. They did that with Jan when he fought Aldo as well. It's basically putting a guy who's lesser known against a person who's obviously beloved and uh, celebrated in the sport. So, like, maybe Jan's right. Like, maybe this is the kind of banner win that Sandhagen needs to be thrust into that situation. But I do feel the big value for it for Sandhagen right now, without title implications and anything like that, is just fighting a legend like Frankie Edgar. Yeah, fair enough. All right, well, good stuff there. We can move it back on throughout the the next one. So we'll go back to you on this one, Anthony. So for the third one, we've got a huge debut. So, you know, we're just coming off the heels of Michael Chandler debuting, having a crazy great uh, debut. What do you think uh, about this fight versus Pantoja? Obviously, he's got a win over Davison, um, and Cape is coming over as a rising champion. Uh, What are your thoughts on this fight starting now? 
what a beautiful, beautiful bit of matchmaking right here. Um, Manuel Cape um, is is definitely the guy who can make waves at flyweight, and and what a perfect time to inject this this like creator of, of visceral violence into that division after a, a, a fight of the year contender for the for the last title fight. I think if he gets if he gets a big win here over uh, Pantoja, this is going to be the the next guy in line, at least the next guy that's being talked about. So I'd expect him to have a high profile booking after this. Should he should he pick up a win, which should lead into a title shot simply because they're probably going to do the, the I think they're doing the Moreno and uh, Figueroa rematch. I, I'm not sure if that's official, but I know that was being talked about. Um, I, I'm I'm really, really excited to see what he can do. Uh, Pantoja, on the other hand. I, I think he's going to be at he. This is a, kind of a lose lose situation for him. You get a big win over someone that the hardcores know is a good fighter, but he's not a UFC fighter. His UFC debut, so it's going to be a bit bit more difficult to sell um, his upside. And, and the fact that he has a win over Figueroa should be on his on his good side. But uh, this this is Manuel Cape's time. Actually, I lied. I set you up with that question, dude. Uh, he did not beat Davis. <laughs> he lost to him. Oh, yeah. Oh, Dude, I set you up I, for that one. That's that. my bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, I said voice of God, there. more like voice of the devil. Yeah, That's voice what I said. Voice of the devil. Voice of the devil. Yeah, totally changed everything. I was like, what? He he won that? But all right. Yeah, I'm, like, holy shit. Well, I'm, like, I'm just here I mean, for the, the trolls. The guy with the voice knows. Just here for the trolls. That's it. That's it. Just here for the troll. Um, that's my bad there. All right, then, uh, PT, what, what are your thoughts on this fight? What does this mean for the division? Yeah, I mean, whatever about it being something for the division, but I will say straight away, I'm a huge Manuel Cape fan, no doubt about it. I've been watching him in Ryzen for a long time. But look, there's part of me that feels like he's being rushed here. Like, why put him into this situation immediately? Like, as Anne says, if he wins this fight, he's into a title conversation. As well, Pantoja is without a doubt one of the toughest fights of his life. Like, who were who his biggest victories against? Kai Asakura, Takeya Mizugaki, and the ghost of Ian McCall? Like, I mean, I don't know if this fella's ready to stand up at the very top of this division. And as well as that, the other reason why I wouldn't have rushed him into a situation against Pantoja, a guy who's only lost to Davison Figueredo and um, Askar Askarov, two of the, like a guy I'm really high on. The reason why I don't put him in there is well, put him lower down the food chain so people can see his personality. He has an amazing personality. He's full of fun. If you go, if you let this guy get a run going at the UFC flyweight division, there's going to be way more, way more fanfare around him, and, and he lets his personality come across, makes him a far bigger commodity at flyweight. So that that would be my criticism of this matchup. Great stuff. All right, we'll move it on to the next one then. Um... We'll disregard that that blunder there on my end. But um, so <laughs> we got an interesting thing, you know. So speaking of Michael Chandler debuting in the UFC, having a great debut, they actually, it looked like, wanted to bring him back versus Oliveira on super short notice. Um, there was even talks where Michael Chandler didn't confirm it in interviews, but he did say that he so much as, you know, started dieting again and started getting ready for it. And so the other person, people are assuming that was Oliveira, turned down the fight. Um, and they were trying to get that set up for next week. That's ridiculous, you know, how close that is to his last fight. So what does this say about the state of cards in particular on February 13th? It is a fairly thinly booked card. This week's card is really great. What does that say about the UFC's strength of cards, and have they learned since the UFC 151 cancellation blunder? Go ahead. Me? Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I feel like... 
I feel like a lot of these cards over the last year in the Apex, or whether it be one of those midweek cards on Foyt Island, a lot of them were very weak. We were seeing returns for guys who were huge losing streaks. They just had to fill them up, so I'm not really surprised about that. But what I will say is, I think Charlie Olives is playing a very dangerous game. We all want to see this guy in a title fight, right? If you ask most MMA media members what is the best title fight they can do at lightweight without Habib Nurmagomedov, we're going to say Dustin Poirier v. Charlie Olives. But the problem is, if he turned down Michael Chandler there, Michael Chandler has to say yes. He's the new kid on the block. He has to go out of his way to impress his new employer. But Oliveira said no to Dan Hooker now for the last pay-per-view, and now he's saying no again. That doesn't sit well with the UFC. I think he's really hurting his chances of getting that lightweight title shot. Um, and I think if he continues to do that, he's going to really upset the UFC brass. So I think that was my big takeaway from that, to be honest. Hmm. So the the whole thinness of the cards, that, that whole vibe for you, uh, the more the focus was on, on Oliver there for you. Yeah, I just feel like, look, they, they needed him to come in and save the day. He said no, and that's the second time he said no in the space of a month or so. I'm not saying it's right. Like, I don't want to see a guy not ready get to, to go in there, but this is how the UFC operates. And it's not like they we know them to not hold grudges against fighters for doing this kind of thing. And in his situation there, on an eight-fight win streak, it's not like there's not another example of this in the division just higher than him that a guy should be fighting for a title that isn't getting that shot. So... I don't know. I just don't think he's doing himself any favors. Um, you got to be a company man for these guys, even though it seems absolutely outrageous. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, then uh, let's get your take on this, Anthony. Uh, what do you think about this? You know, kind of predicament and the the state of cards. Have they learned since one fifty one? I don't think they've really learned anything. Um, the, a lot of times, and, and granted, part of it is because of COVID, because they 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 have a reduced amount of people that are ready to go. But they just have these cards put together without any rhyme or reason to stack this card this weekend so heavily, and to just pretty much ignore pay per view to where you're trying to um, you're you're trying to make what should be a five round main event or a number one title a number one contender fight. Uh, just make that on two weeks notice. It doesn't make any sense. Granted, I think that the um charlie olives and chandler thing i think that's more ufc trying to use the public to to push a matchup you know whenever you hear that announcement that a, a fight is in the works it, it, it a lot of times it's meant that they're trying to pressure someone into signing on that that bout agreement i think that's what they were doing here uh which makes me think that if they're trying to offer this they don't want Oliveira in that title picture right now which means probably going to be Dustin and Connor three um for for vacant belt that's that's kind of what I'm thinking um I I think Char uh, Charlie Olives is, is the the odd man out in this situation despite being the most deserving person there gotcha yeah I think uh we'll we'll kind of take a deeper dive into that that whole topic of discussion uh, here in a second, because there's a bunch of follow-up questions we could talk about there. But then let's move it on to the the most dubious one, the last one. So Stephen A. Smith, uh, <laughs> he's, in the, <laughs> he's in the headlines again. He he basically said he's not a fan of women's MMA, and so I'll ask the same question asked you know on Twitter the other day. Uh, and we'll start with you on this one, Anthony. At one point. Is there too much to where they're like, all right, we're not going to throw them on ESPN broadcast? Is it the typical thing? The outrage is what they're going for, so it's actually a good thing? Or where is the point where it actually becomes a bad thing? Because, you know, people get canceled all the time. All sorts of different things happen. Uh, at what point does he say too much and they're like, all right, 
we're leaving you off of UFC pay-per-views. We're not bringing you on. You can still talk about it on your show or whatever, but we're going to keep you off of the UFC broadcast, for instance. So uh, what do you think about that? Go ahead, Walker, starting now. First and foremost, let me just say Stephen A. Smith is a moron. Like He has consistently proven himself to be a complete moron when it comes to uh, mixed martial arts. And I'm really tired of hearing his voice. I think it's unfortunate that he kind of uses idiocy to, to force his name into the headlines with things like this. If you are someone who is paid um, by the UFC broadcast partner to um, talk about mixed martial arts, maybe you should throw some respect on women's mixed martial arts. Perhaps. Now, the one thing I will say in his defense is that he did not disparage the quality of the fights or the fighters. Um, he just said it's not for him, which, OK, like it's an archaic take. It's stupid. It's it's of the Stone Age. But you're entitled to be a moron if that's what you want to be. Um, the problem is when you're paying these morons to talk about the sport. That's when there's a problem for me. This man should not be on a UFC broadcast, period, if he cannot appreciate the action that's going on. How, the, the unmitigated goal to talk down about women's mixed martial arts when last year we had one of the greatest fights of all time in Weili Zhang and Yoana Jacek. How dare you? disparage what they would like that that fight for your platform of stupidity the only way this could have been worse is if skip bailey said it <laughs> hey man he was a sumo wrestler he was outweighed by about 40 pounds sumo style wrestling Good God. uh yeah that's probably the only person who's actually like worse in the mainstream media right now but um and the, the major, you know, non-MMA media is what I mean to say there. But, uh, yeah, so then let's move it on. What is your take on this one, PT? What do you think about Stephen A. Smith? At one point, is the, the, the camel's back officially broken by one of these last draws? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, this is way worse. I didn't even have a problem with the Cerrone comment, to be completely honest. Um, I think MMA fans can get very sensitive on media takes sometimes, and I didn't completely disagree with what he said that time. Um, honesty is the best policy, and it hurts people sometimes. But this case is crazy. The fact that this guy, I just don't think he wants to work UFC events anymore. I think he's going out of his way to not do it. Like, I mean, to say that about the women's sport is terrible. And on the same week that we had that whole Casey Kinney, Sean O'Malley situation about Megan Anderson, it's a terrible, terrible look. But the problem is with this sport, people have said outrageous things over and over and again, and nothing is done about it. Like you can't have Colby Covington saying the things he says, not punish him and then throw the book at Stephen A. Smith over this. Like, I mean, it, it's a wild sport. It's absolutely insane. Um, and, and they're going to have to start policing these comments eventually, but um, a terrible look for Stephen A. Smith, who's done absolutely nothing to endear himself to MMA fans since the ESPN deals, ESPN deal started. So does like, so th this is a question that everybody like. So I'm already seeing comments from people that's just like, oh, yeah, don't talk about him and he'll go away. And I think there's some truth to that. Um, but like, is there a point where they're just like, yeah, like like what you said, where eventually maybe they start policing some of this stuff? I mean, but the thing is, it's an analyst. How much does he actually affect the views? I don't know. So like, is there a point where you actually get rid of these guys or, or do you just? keep rolling with it because when's the last time we saw Stephen a smith 
Um, well, I know he's been getting prime interviews, so I think that's the biggest thing is like he's been getting the Habib interview where Habib was like, I don't give a shit about this. <laughs> like, <laughs> so he's been getting like the prime interviews and stuff like that. Uh, so I think maybe uh, we haven't been seeing him that much, but he's definitely been given big time treatment. Um, this is the well, these guys' currency is outraged though, isn't it? Like the the whole idea yeah. of these guys, like Skip Bayless and these guys, that their their currency is outraged. Am I wrong? Like I don't yeah. have like they they're the part. No, of you're you're, you're right. I mean, he he's made a name for himself being a contrarian and and being someone who's loud about things he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, typically, so th this is right on brand. I I just have a problem when the people who are doing this are actually like you know have access to the ufc and and are and are speaking to fans and it just doesn't make any sense like at the very least because because we always had this problem with um i guess for the lack of a better phrase like outsiders coming into our sport and making a mockery of it you, you know that that seems to be a, a typical thing like if if you if you're in for a carnival come to mixed martial arts we'll accept you and, and that's sort of what that's sort of the, the 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 thing that that Stephen A. Smith brings to this, um, along with other mainstream media personalities that just don't know what they're talking about. At the very least, if you're talking about something, know what you're talking about. I, I don't think that's really a difficult thing to to uh, to enforce there. If you are a some sort of voice in mixed martial arts, it helps to know about mixed martial arts. Surprise, surprise. So when you say stupid stuff like that, when you're you're expressing views of, you know, of of like the past 10 years of oh women, women don't need to fight each other because, oh, yucky, like you're just exposing yourself for being stupid. And I'm I'm tired of stupid people. It, and it's, it's really difficult for me to get riled up about Stephen A. Smith at this point, because I'm so used to ignoring a lot of what he says. You got to you got to really, really say something special to get a rise out of me. Mm. is it is it like is it that big of a deal though that's I'm, I'm just trying to think for me not living in the u.s like i mean does he have the type of viewership where anything he says about this sport is putting a spotlight on it like i mean it it, it like you know sometimes i can remember in the early days of uh mainstream coverage here it was like at least they're like once they're talking about it like and they aren't completely mm. thrown under the bus i guess he hit did in this case but i mean most of the time does he have the kind of viewership that he could turn people on to mma that usually wouldn't be into it is that what his function is within espn i would guess so i mean i'm i'm thinking of it back when the fox deal became a thing and you started seeing people that were typically on nfl broadcasts just thrown into the ufc analyst desk like like kurt menifee the first name that comes to mind and as a guy to my knowledge has nothing to do with mixed martial arts but hey um Hey, you're on Fox, and so go ahead and you know, plus Connor card, like that sort of thing. I, I think it's it's trying to add an air legitimacy to it because, I mean, Stephen A. Smith knows what he talks about when it comes to, like, the NBA. You know, that's from what I remember when I was a mainstream sports fan. That was sort of his groove was, was basketball. That doesn't translate over to MMA. Like, I am a media member of mixed martial arts and done my fair share of reporting and writing and whatnot. That doesn't mean I have any business talking about soccer. I, I don't know. So I'll just shut up when it comes to that topic. Well, with that being said, what are your thoughts on soccer? No, um, so there are actually <laughs> a bunch of interesting comments on this. So JT Vo um, actually brings up Go a really on, good point. If they police these, they'll have to use the code of conduct. With the current policy about independent contractors going through, 
it could hurt the UFC standout in court. That's actually a really interesting point because the antitrust lawsuit and everything going on and them trying to say that they're independent contractors, can you enforce a code of conduct? Um, And I I guess this is by extension being kind of put towards Stephen A. Smith. He's obviously an employee of ESPN, so it's not quite the same. But to your point, Pizzi, you were talking about enforcing it on your fighters. If you're not enforcing on your fighters, how can you enforce it on anyone else? So, yeah, is is that a real hurdle, you think? Um, and all that makes a lot of sense, to be honest. That that does make a lot of sense. And um, they, of course, are trying to distance themselves from absolutely anything that will make these guys um, seem like employees, even though they seem very like employees to me. But, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, JT. Well, fair play to you, bud. Ooh. Roberto Lopez says, these guys are wrong. It's all about voice and delivery. Media don't have to know Jack. Well, apparently, the Stephen A. Smiths. Brendan Schaub. Uh, yeah. Brendan Schaub. <laughs> Brendan Schaub. <laughs> that's that's what someone told Brendan Schaub, and look where we fucking ended up. All right? So, fair play to you, mate. I mean, I think there's an got, audience Jamie? for all of it is probably the way to put it. There's an audience for all of it, you know? Um, and that's the unfortunate part. There's an unsavory side of it, and there's also the the great side of it where, you know, the, the fans really go towards it. But I don't know. But we can... We can move it on there unless anybody had something else they wanted to say there. But I think we kind of go into that that lightweight discussion. Yeah, he's like, cut it, cut it. Um, (laughs) So we were talking about what should happen at lightweight. Um, We've got Nate Diaz in the news, uh, who's potentially coming back at 170. And uh, this was something that you had brought up before, PT. And this this kind of by extension goes into 155-pound discussion because we thought he was going to be fighting somebody like Gaethje or somebody like that. That's what the rumors were leaning towards a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, so what are your thoughts overall on, on Nate Diaz uh, talking about 170 again? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's underlining the fact that he probably isn't seeing eye-to-eye with the UFC. Surprise, surprise. I mean, we're all talking about a, a 55 comeback just a couple of months ago. That goes away, and now he's here at 170. Look, I, I love the Diaz brothers. I think they're icons. Um they bring with them a, a rabid fan base. And um, look, Nate's record at 170 isn't as good as his record at 155. But I do believe he has a function there. And to be honest, I feel like there's a brilliant fight there. But unfortunately, the opponent is booked. I would have loved to see Nate Diaz return to take on Hamzat Shimoyev. I thought I think that would have been absolutely outrageous. Mm. Like, look, they're already putting him in against Leon Edwards, a guy at the very top of the division. I know Leon Edwards is probably gaining more traction from fighting Shimoyev than Shimoyev is gaining from fighting Leon Edwards. But uh, if they really wanted to put that guy in a big, big fight, there's no brighter lights really than a, a Nate Diaz fight. I would have loved to have seen that. Nothing else is really jumping out. I mean, maybe Anthony can give me some matchups to whet my appetite, but I can't really think of anything automatically. Um, yeah, so I'll I'll just say with, with Nate Diaz, as far as the welterweight conversation, really welterweight or lightweight, like as much of a name as he is, as entertaining as he is, as much as we all like to see him fight, this is not a guy who should be within the title picture. Like it just he just doesn't belong there. I think if he goes in that welterweight, you got to think action matchups. You got to think or or legacy fights, for instance. I say book him against Robbie Lawler. That would be a fun Ooh. one. Um, there's history there with 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 uh, his older brother and, and and Robbie. And if Nick's not coming back for that fight, well, let Nate take it. Um, I think another option would be Bilal Muhammad if you just want pure action and a, and a winnable fight for Nate. Um, because if you, if you're gonna use Nate in the more the elite conversations and more of those 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 marquee matchups, 
get him, get him some wins. Like you know, throw throw him somebody that he can beat that's gonna make him look good, and then we can have those conversations of sneaking him uh, in with with the top five in the division. So if we're going welterweight, that makes the most sense. As far as lightweight is concerned, hmm, give me Paul Felder. Paul Felder oh, and Nate Diaz. Sounds beautiful to me. Yes, yes, I agree with that one. I can't believe I didn't think of Robbie Lawyer. That's a great shout as well, and um, I love that fight. But I, I agree with you in terms of not putting him in with the very top guys, and that's why I thought Shumayev was a good um, a good fight for him because, I mean, it's this kid with so much hype. Now he's going in against Diaz, obviously a famed puncher. We saw Shumayev knock out GM3 in his last fight, so that, that's where I was coming from. But um, I feel like he does need to fight. I feel like he's nearly in that McGregor post Mayweather phase where people are just like, shut up and fight. You know, we don't we don't care what you, you have to say. I think this is probably the most uh, loud that sort of the conversation has been for Nate Diaz ever, I feel. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting topic. Do you guys think he really is a 170 pounder? Because, I mean, you look back at the Roy McDonald fight and I would say no. <laughs> But that was a long time yeah. ago. It was a really long yeah. time ago. Um, I mean, he, he can compete at 170. The thing is, like, is Anthony Pettis a, a real welterweight? But he was there, and, you know, he, he won a couple of good fights there. So it, it just it's a matter of who's standing across from him. That that's really what what the issue is. It becomes more of a style matchup than anything else. But I don't feel that Nate Diaz is a true welterweight. Um, he might, even though he might be a little bit big for lightweight. Is it a good time for him to come back? That's my question because, right, if, if they're going to, right, so Poirier said to Helwani on Monday that, you know, they're looking at the McGregor rematch. I know from McGregor's uh, people, the talk is all that they're going to do the, the trilogy fight, sorry, with Poirier. Um, so if they do that, and you'd have to pick Poirier based on what happened um, in, in January against McGregor. So say he loses, Nate Diaz loses. Does that completely rub away the shine of that trilogy bout, Diaz, McGregor, or do you still think there will be a huge appetite for it? Oh, man. Nothing rubs away the shine of uh, Diaz, <laughs> McGregor 3. Like that, that's, the, that's the cool thing about that matchup is you can just put that in your back pocket for eternity and people are still going to want to watch it um, because it's not something that you have to sell based on their recent accomplishments because, quite frankly, they don't have a good track record recently in, in, in competition. But what you what you can do is sell it based on their conflict with one another. Sell it on how exciting the first two fights were. Sell it on the on on the fact that these two are going to get in front of microphones and audiences and just say a lot of dumb shit to each other. <laughs> that that's what's really going to sell this. So you have that forever. And and I don't I think the UFC will be doing himself a huge, huge disservice if they pull that trigger too quick. And I know it's been it's been a long time since they fought. Um and, and we've called for the trilogy fight before, but keep it in your back pocket because there's other options for both men. If they both lose, is there other options or do you have to do it then? I guess you, you could you could pull the trigger then, um, but still, like, I, there's still shine on McGregor. Like, people still will watch this guy. Um, I think that's one that you can pull out as the last, last-ditch effort to get people to care about either man. Um, so 
you still have things to do. Like you can still for Connor, I say, give him Tony Ferguson for, you know, for Nate, the, the aforementioned fights, let's see what happens with, with the rest of this stuff. And then even if it's three, four years from now, then we can say, all right, we'll go ahead and, and, and put that, um, put that as a fight night main event or a, a, a pay-per-view for the BMF two title or whatever the case may be. And people will still watch it. Yeah, you're right. You're probably right. <laughs> We got an interesting super chat from uh, our, our friend Armenian Jiu-Jitsu. Today is the 30th year anniversary of Sergeant Slaughter beating the most overrated wrestler, the Ultimate Warrior. That's straight for you, hey. PT. That's for you. Hey, that's my dad you're talking about. Don't talk about my father that way, all right? The <laughs> Ultimate Warrior. My name is PT Warrior, and I'm very offended. But uh, thank you for bringing up the anniversary. I'm very proud of my dad, as always. Jesus, is that really accurate? That's crazy. 30 years. Wow. Yeah, he is my dad, yeah. That that is accurate. Oh, that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real question right there. Um, which really interesting. Uh, th- this is a strange comment, and I'm I'm curious to see how you react to this one. So it's from some dude named Respect, who apparently doesn't have a lot of it. <laughs> apparently doesn't. Some have dude a- named Respect. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> so, but his question is co- kind of disrespectful. He said, "So this guy knows Connor's people? Bias journalism? Question mark? Like." I, no, no, you, you generally question. need to know. You generally need to know people within camps to uh, gain access to news, which is the job of a journalist. But uh, fair play, respect. <laughs> yeah, that. I don't understand respect, that. Respect, not intelligence. What the hell? like? Come on, fam. Like, you, 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 we we do interact with these people. Like, we do talk to them, and we we like when I interview somebody, I I know them a little bit better. And yeah. in order to interview them, you might have to talk to their manager. You talk to their coaches, yeah. like. You do get to know people if you work in this line. And and if you don't get to know people, you're probably doing it wrong. So how, how do you think he book interviews respect? Huh? Do I just call him? Is his name the dude called respect or just respect? Yeah, it's respect. He's got it spelled without the vowels. So, I mean, and I assume it's respect. ah, come on, mate. He just took out the vowels. Let's respect the English language. <laughs> yeah, I just don't understand that. Like, I really want to know. So respect, you know, I, I know that we're kind of uh, we're kind of roasting you a bit here. But what do you actually expect that process to be like like are, are you supposed what to does respect <laughs> expect what does respect expect that's what i want to know i mean uh, you have to yeah you have to talk to the fight camp you have to um jesus we got another one uh sleepy swords but where does kevin lee fit in this picture oh interesting so we were just talking about 155 mm. and 170 a conversation he's been in on both but he's really back at 155 now um did it? Did he waffle back though and say he might go back to 170? I'll need to double check on that. But what, what, what do you guys think about his prospects? And that's from uh, Sleepy Swords. Appreciate you for the super chat there. He, he needs a big win, doesn't he? And like Jesus, he needs yeah. he needs a win to make him relevant again. To be honest, I feel at 155. Yeah, I, I agree, man. Like he he's got it. He's got to get in the get a W at this point. You know, and think about how long it was since we last saw him. When we last saw him, when he lost to um to Oliveira, I mean that was the absolute start of the quarantines and the pandemic, and 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 like that loss, um, big deal for his career, but so it's just forgotten considering everything that happened. So like our last memories of, of Kevin Lee just feel like so long ago and so much has happened in, in, in both divisions since then, this guy just needs a win uh, with a quickness. 
and quite honestly, I I, I don't want to backtrack on the conversation at all, but that's another good opponent for, for Nate Diaz as well. I think that both of them are kind of at crossroads in their careers and um, you could pair them up and, and see what happens. And I think we'd be entertained by the results regardless of the winner. Didn't he lose his coach though, right? Like that was uh, a that big, was uh, that yeah, was like in twenty seventeen. Yeah, it was yeah, his coach yeah, Robert Fellows, his coach died. Um I, I think people don't recognize how how damaging that was for him. Mm. You know, that was right after he lost the the uh interim title shot to, to Tony Ferguson. And that was a fight he did very, very, very well in uh, and, until, you know, until he gassed out and whatnot. Um, it, Robert Fallis being being there with him was such a, a guiding point for his career as far as like his like the decisions he made as far as fight IQ was concerned, how his training was and all that. He went on sort of like a. I don't. I'm not even sure the 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 words to describe it, but I'm I'm getting the image of like Kane and Kung Fu just kind of wandering, looking for looking for something. And he, you know, he kind of cobbled together his own training camp. And I remember he had Dewey Cooper as his as his chief corner. And Dewey Cooper, being a, an excellent striking coach, wasn't probably wasn't necessarily the best guy to have on your overall MMA game. So much so much was lost with Robert Fallis in, in regards to Kevin Lee's development. Um and, and it seems like he just started kind of getting back in in his groove, but unfortunately he he lost um when it seemed like certain things were clicking in his training, you know, him going up to to TriStar and and, and getting some work in Faraz Sahabi. Yeah, we I, like I remember I I met them both in Belfast when he when he was over here fighting. And uh, the relationship between them, like, you know, it seemed much stronger than the average coach fighter relationship as well. So I'm sure it's much more than just a, a piece of the furniture when it comes to his training camp. I feel like Follis had a relationship with a lot of fighters where he's nearly like a father figure in the camp. Um, and of course, a lot of people are moving out there to Vegas to train with him. So I'm sure he takes that role very seriously. So, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, he, if he's still trying to put the pieces together, as Ancho said there, you know. Um, another thing I think that probably should be said is how well that loss has now aged. You know, he looks incredible against Gregor Gillespie, and then he comes back yeah. after that, and he loses to Oliveira. But now Oliveira is at the very top of the division. You're like, oh, that's actually not at all a bad loss. That's actually like I, – I actually, I have him kind of favorited to be the champion at 155 now just because of his abilities everywhere. He's kind of like the Gilbert Burns 155 in terms of just having a diversity of skill set on the ground and on the feet. He can put you away any way he wants to. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, the, the Gregor Gillespie knockout, I can remember at that stage, everyone's building up a lot of hype for Gregor as well. And um, yeah, he put him out. That was one of the knockouts of the year. That was outrageous, actually. Um, but yeah, I just feel like he needs... He he is out of the conversation for a reason, and although the the losses to Oliveira, like Oliveira looks fantastic, looks like the, the like a guy who should one hundred percent be fighting for a title. I feel like he still needs that banner win to get him back on people's minds, back in that consciousness. Because you know, no one's thinking straight away about the Gregor Gillespie knockout; they're thinking about the Oliveira fight. You know, yeah. Um, Kevin Lee, man, was you know I. I 
I'm no, I know the comments are going to kill me for this one and, and, and come get this work. But I thought he was going to be the guy who, who was going to dethrone McGregor. That that's, that's what I thought years ago, just seeing how good his wrestling was, just seeing how, how crisp his, his boxing is. He has so many, so many gifts. Um, and he's just so athletic and, and the personality thought that the promotion could really get behind him and, and put him out there. Um, it just, it, Robert Fallis being gone, man, really derailed him. Um, I, I'd love to see him get that magic back. I, I would love to see that. Um, he, he's really, yeah, it's, he, he's, he's really, um, uh, an, an entertaining guy, a very well-rounded fighter and someone who, who can match up well with a lot of people on his best nights. I mean, that, that round, that first round he gave to Tony Ferguson was magnificent. Like he, mm. he put it on him, but I mean, the guy had, he got, had like, you know, pus hanging out of his chest <laughs> at, at the time. So, so needless to say, yeah, physically he was compromised. But a physically compromised version of Kevin Lee was able to do that to Tony Ferguson for for that small stretch of time. I, I don't think that's an easy task, right there. He he's someone who, with the the pieces are are put in place, could come back with a with a vengeance. Well, speaking mm-hmm. of mothers having tickets, uh, the Kiesa win has really turned out to age extraordinarily well because. You look how good Kiesa's looked, and yeah. Kevin Lee just subbed him. You know, obviously there was a controversial stoppage, Yamasaki, all that, but um, I, I, that's all I could think about watching Kiesa. Uh, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago, just how dominant he's looked in his past couple fights, and the RDA one as well. You know, like, uh, yeah, Kevin Lee. That was really spot. bad, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Was it like am I am I remember this right at that press conference? Like Kevin Lee sm- slagged his mother. Then Michael Kies is like, don't you slag my mother? And he walks over and gets punched in the face. That is embarrassing. Yeah, that, was, that, is hard. that was pretty embarrassing, man. <laughs> That's yeah, that man. But I, I'm still confused by that. Like, I think I just had to write about that for one of the scripts. Yeah, right? yeah, um, and, 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 and it just kind of, yeah, it just kind of confused. I'm like, man, they, he, that was the most mundane mention of, of yeah. someone's mom. Like that, that should not have inspired violence at all. Like, yeah, his mom was going to be at the fight. Like, you know, mom, if I were going to fight, my mom would probably be there too. So, it's not really that big of a deal, but you know, and then to get cold cock right afterward, uh, not a not <laughs> a good look tough. player, not a good. It was look. tough, and I, that was really and I love I love Michael Chiesa, man. Michael Chiesa is like one of the one of the coolest guys that you could ever speak to in in MMA. But damn, bro, that yeah, that, he caught the fade, man. That was bad. <laughs> uh, I wonder how much both of those guys weighed the night they fought as well, because they are both huge. Like, I mean, what like Chiesa looks huge for a welterweight now, right? And yeah, Kevin Lee's big. not a small guy either. I wonder what the, the weights were down like. That's insane. Steven Thompson, when I interviewed him, he said that uh, Kiesa walks around around 210 pounds, which is just ridiculous for 170. Like, that's massive. Like, that's on huge. fight night, what did, yeah. uh, what did Yoel and Costa weigh on fight night? Of course, they ballooned up more than that, but California, they weigh them in on the same day of the fight as well to see what their you know fight night weights are a little bit closer to. And they were around 215. Um 210 for Michael Chiesa walking around is just absolutely insane. We did get a weird super chat here from Thick Boyo. Yeah, okay. Uh, Thick Boyo. <laughs> Thick Boyo. Shout out to King Durant on the Discord. Can I get an F for King Durant if you know what's up? I have no idea what that's about. I tried looking it up. I don't think it's what? anything. Uh, is it Kevin Durant? Is that what you're talking about? He just said King Durant. So maybe he was on our Discord. Maybe he got kicked out for, you know, being an asshole in the chat on our Discord. I have no idea what that boy <laughs> was talking about, but appreciate the super chat. Got another one from Sleepy Swords. Uh, 
Thoughts on Mario? If they die, they die. Yamasaki coming back. He has been talking about trying to come back into the sport lately. Um, we're trying to get him as a host for the live chat. That's what we're trying to do. Just for the hands <laughs> at the start. Just the love heart. You got to get that trademark from him. Well, to kind of roll with that, I feel like, call me crazy, um, I feel like we've been seeing a little bit of that with Herb Dean a little bit. Uh, some of his stoppages have been late lately. Yeah, Mate, like, really. Like, late. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Herb, Herb, like, I've been watching him for years going to these Russian shows and shit. Like, he's been, he's been very inconsistent for a long time for me. Mm. And I think it's, I think he's just doing it too much. Because yeah. I, I had Herb at the top of the pyramid for a long time in terms of referees. And I just think he's just all the time traveling to these di- well he was before the lockdowns and everything he was traveling all over the world to do this and, I, and that's going to happen when you're one of the best referees in the world but I, I i think when you when you're there too much it's nearly like compassion fatigue right like you're nearly like i i see this all the time i see you guys getting shadow around about 20 times a night like it's just i, I think you can nearly get de- desensitized to it in some type of way maybe, maybe i'm wrong but th- that's just the uh, you, feeling i get sometimes you're probably right i mean e- even if you don't get desensitized i mean you can zone out if you do something long enough and still do it like think about how often you drive to the grocery store and back home and you can zone out on that drive and end up in front in front of your house like nothing ever happened so i i yeah. think herb dean can get in that cage and just zone out and oh while he's zoning out someone is getting their brains pumbled out <laughs> you know that that's just the unfortunate result of him you know kind of kind of blacking out i guess um it, it's you know and actually come, come to think of it i wrote the worst referee list like when i first got on board with, with mma on point and herb dean was was definitely not mentioned on that list but i'm starting to think he should be like if we revised it his name would have to be there now because I'm I'm beyond the point of of giving him that pass and like oh well it's Herb Dean and he he works too often but but he's still nine times out of ten he's still good like we've we've had too many huge blunders on his watch at this point and, and we have to really question like how good is he now um, maybe he needs to sit down more often maybe he needs to um, be relegated to prelim fights or something something lower stakes. Um, for for the time being, uh, until he can kind of get his shit together, I, that that's kind of where I'm, where I'm going with this. And as far as Yamasaki coming back, no, no, we're good, man. we're good. <laughs> <Just not. laughs> I think I think Goddard's I think Goddard's the best in the world at the moment, and the reason why I think he's the best in the world is obviously because of what he does in the in the octagon or the cage or the ring or whatever. But the fact that he gives media and fans that transparency after the fact, when he does know there's a big issue or he does know there's something big that people are talking about, he comes out and he airs it out. He's like, well, look, this is what happened from my point of view. And look, you can you can take that or you can leave it or you can disagree with it. But that's a lot more than the vast majority of officials from judges, referees, all of that stuff give us. And I think the fact that he's willing to do that says a lot about him as a guy, too. I mean, I'm I'm just gonna say Jason Herzog is I think also is is an incredible referee right, and, and has a level good. of transparency. But I'm I'm gonna make sure we put some respect on Keith Peterson's name simply because I want to have beer and cigarettes with him. <laughs> <laughs> Dominic Cruz at home cursing you right now. He's like, no, that man. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. I'm I'm with you on Jason Herzog, Anthony. I, I I can't really think of any big blunders from Jason Herzog. Can you guys think of one that maybe I'm just missing? here i feel like there was one that was recent and he came out right right afterward right. it was yeah. the it was the was it the glover Teixeira oh, and anthony it was smith that fight one. you're right yeah yeah 
That's yeah, and he, but he came out right away and was like, hey, this is where I was wrong. And I that transparency, I really appreciate. And of course, everyone is going to make mistakes at some point. Um, but it, it's how many times like the reason why he's such a good referee is like when you're trying to think of blunders you're trying to remember times he's been in the cage and that's what a referee should be they should be invisible they should be they should be a piece of the canvas we should not be talking about them as much because what they when they do their jobs right we don't notice they're there i do try and i'm trying to do that more and more now to be honest I'm, i'm trying to compliment the referee when he does a good job um you know because so much weight from the fan base is put on referees when, when they do something that they don't like that i feel like i nearly try to you know commend them for the work that they do when they are good because it's not like on a 12 fight card it's like seven fights we're talking about a referee an issue on and that's that's where i agree with anthony like i mean if if they're doing their job right it's not a talking point but uh i think we should give them a pat on the back uh every now and again because it's so hypercritical when they get it wrong so if you see these people in person, unwarranted, just walk up to them and pat them on the back. They'll like that. They'll- good job, man. <laughs> hey, you're doing a good job, buddy. I don't even notice you. Um, uh, Dixon- but it is the most thankless job in the sport, though, right? Like judges, referees. It is like there is some great judges, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. To, and as we just said, there's some fantastic referees. And like I feel like people are only talking about about these guys when they fuck up, you know? It's kind of like a weird psychological thing. Like you read comments, you tend to pay attention to the ones that are bad. You know, it's it's like your mind is risk averse to such a level that well, you always pay attention to what's wrong pretty much in any anything in life. And unfortunately, those are the most poignant, like bad moments when those happen. Mm. But uh, Dixon Sider, uh, we're very familiar with this comment, uh, a commenter, uh, regular on the chat, and I always read it out anyway. Um, If the UFC was to uh, sign another fighter from Bellator, who would you all like to see get signed um, that you actually believe can hang in their division too? So Uh, That's a different question. That's a different question then, because if you said who would you like to get signed uh, and no title ramifications whatsoever, I'd say MVP. I'd love MVP to go in there and have a bit of fun. But uh, I don't know. I, I honestly don't think that he would be a title contender, but I think there's lots of fun fights to make for him. What do you reckon? Do you think he could be in the title mix? MVP, no. Um, but it'll be fun. It'll it, it just be a whole, whole lot of fun. And that that's really, at the end of the day, when you're watching an MVP fight, that's that's all there is to it. Like when, when like when we were early in the show, when you're joking about Jason Spar and Jake Paul, I was like, well, he could be an MVP opponent also. I mean, that's that's the... <laughs> That's the caliber of guys. They're, they're they're just calling up guys from wherever to to fight MVP, which which means he's probably not going to hang too well at, at the higher levels of the UFC. But we can have fun uh, for for sure. Yeah. But still, MVP versus Raymond Daniels needs to happen in Bellator. Oh, we shit. need that fight. We need it. We need it. We need it every time <laughs> I I can. I'm going to call for it. Make it happen, Scotty. Just two lads pirouetting. In the middle yeah. of the cage, it'll just, <laughs> just it'll just be it'll be like or like a real life Enter the Dragon. They're just gonna be spin kicking and flipping and mm, beautiful, beautiful. It's gotta be, it's gotta be Patricio though if we're thinking about guys that would come in and and have a a go at a title, right? Like I mean, he has by osmosis of Chandler's victory over Hooker become this like I can, I haven't stopped thinking about the dude every time. Every time they put someone in front of him, he puts them away. Like, I know people are going to talk about, oh, yeah, who has he fought? Who has he fought? Like, he looked good good when he fought Chandler. I tell you that much. His last performance against Pedro uh, Carvalho, he just ran through him. 
Um, Carvalho has looked really good before that fight. You know, he, he has bet some really good campaigners for Bellator, and Patricio just walked through him like he wasn't there. Um, I think the more Chandler wins, the more and more we're going to realize how good Patricio is. Um, will we ever see him in the UFC? I don't know. But he is certainly a guy I think that could come in and, and have big implications on the on division at featherweight or at lightweight straight away. He's so powerful. I, you know, I definitely uh, Patricio is is the one of the first names that comes to mind. Another name might be cheating because he was in the UFC. Gegard Mousasi uh, is, is a guy I would love to see what he can do in this current uh, middleweight title picture in the UFC. Uh, him versus Adesanya just sounds fantastic to me. Um, but um, we gotta we gotta respect Douglas Lima. We got to yeah. put Douglas Lima in, in this conversation. I mean, this is a you know a dominant champion at, at welterweight and Bellator, who I think matches up very very well against the top guys uh, in the UFC's welterweight division. And I think I think he gives Kamaru Usman a run for his money. Uh, I I would favor Usman to win that fight, but I don't think it'll be easy. I think Usman would take uh, take a lot of damage uh, on his way to to a close decision victory. Um, I'm curious what Aaron Pico could do. Um, if he were developing under the UFC, what would that look like? That's that's another question mark for me. But those those are the names that come to mind. I have to say, um, I agree with you completely on Douglas, but I think Bellator completely shit the bed with Douglas because they they had no reason to put him into that middleweight title fight with Musasi. Like you have two guys there that I want to watch. No doubt about it, right? You match Douglas with someone I'm watching. You match Gaygard with someone I want to watch it, but. Because Douglas is on this tear and you put him in with Musasi, like the odds are stacked against him if you're moving up the division straight away. And then it isn't the most eventful fight because Musasi respects the guy. And then then all of a sudden the shine's gone off him. Like he what he I didn't think of Douglas straight away, Ant did, but he used to be the guy everybody was saying. As soon as Jurassic about a champion at Bellator, Douglas, Douglas, Douglas. They've shot themselves in the foot completely with that. And um, yeah, I, I think they only have themselves to blame. Like, I mean, more people should be talking about Douglas, but that matchmaking ruined him, I think. I mean, it ruined him until he fights again, but it, but they, they fucked it up. Yeah, I mean, having having anybody move up and wait to fight Gegard Mousasi is a dangerous proposition because he's not a guy who who thrives on his size and and, and strength or whatnot. He's a he's a technical mastermind. So if you're coming up to fight him, you're not only going to be undersized, but you're probably going to be outclassed on technique as well. So this isn't this isn't like um, you know, say um, John Jones moving up to fight. Uh, you know, a, a heavyweight champion where you might think he has a speed advantage or something like that, or or he might have better technique in certain areas. This is this is someone who equally tech equal technique against bigger strength, and that's just you don't want to move up on Gegard Musasi. Gegard Musasi mm -hmm. is the type of guy who would have success moving up himself, um, simply because of his attributes. But it doesn't work the other way. Speaking of top Bellator agree. guys, what do you guys think about AJ McKee? I, I think he's probably going to be yeah. the champion by the end of the year. He's amazing. Hell yeah. he's amazing. I, I'm actually mad that I didn't think of AJ McKee in that conversation. I, that, I, I owe AJ McKee an apology for that one because he's, <laughs> he's, he's certainly like one of the most exciting guys in the sport, period. Like period, period, period. And, and quite honestly, can be a huge, huge star with the right things around him. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that that last submission win just shows you how dynamic the guy is. I mean, I I, I, I trained jiu-jitsu for a very, very long time and I had no idea a submission was even on the, on um, Caldwell until he tapped out. I had no idea what that was. 
I think he's he's a great personality on top of being a fantastic athlete and a fantastic fighter. And really, they've hit the nail on the head with this tournament, the way it's going, because it, it looks like it's going to be um, Patricio and AJ. I know there's fights to happen, um, but it looks like it's all headed towards that. And I think that's an absolutely beautiful fight. It could be a changing of the guard moment. But um, if he beats Patricio, and we're talking about Patricio and how Patricio could do so much in the UFC, like AJ McKee's stock is going to be so high, man. It's going to be absolutely ridiculous if he comes out of this tournament with the belt. And what a story it would be. <laughs> I was trying to play the uh, highlights there, and it was coming through just a bit on the audio. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm really curious, you know, just for the people who haven't seen this, you know, uh, Bellator is fortunately uh, really, really, um, you know, great in terms of letting people, you know, kind of show off their footage. But like, this is the submission we're talking about. Darian Caldwell, former champion. He, um, of course, you know, lost to Horiguchi. So, I mean, he wasn't still the champion, but he's somebody who um, is at the very, very top of the division. Darian Caldwell is an absolutely phenomenal talent former champion i mean that's about as big as a win can get and about as impressive as it can get so it's like it it really feels like aj mckee is potentially their biggest uh, i don't know prospect yeah biggest prospect it's got to be it got to be their biggest prospect um and look caldwell's a nightmare matchup like caldwell caldwell was um like on paper was a nightmare matchup for aj mckee as well like that's that's the genius of that submission he knew he was going to be on his back against caldwell because caldwell is such a fantastic wrestler and to have that like to just pull that out of your back pocket as soon as you're put in that situation like that's the first round that's insane man it's insane i mean i i what what do you think the odds makers will be doing that night when patricio and aj meet like it's gonna happen even if it's not in this tournament it's gonna happen inevitably what who do you think is the favorite going in there would you have to make patricio the favorite or do you think aj becomes the favorite my advice is stay away from the betting booth on this one like this, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I feel comfortable putting up no amount of money for either man on this because it's just whatever i i'm betting on it that's it <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't know what to do there either it's it's a amazing fight that they have there as well. It's nearly like they know they're gonna they can make that fight whenever. I think it would be perfect if it if it came together during the tournament, which it looked like it will, but it's it's always gonna be a brilliant fight. We've been waiting for AJ McKee to get into that title situation. I think throughout this tournament he's proved that he is an elite fighter in that Bellator weight class. So it, it could just be a perfect trajectory, perfect everything for that fight. I mean the the whole MMA world will watch that fight. Fascinating stuff. Um, see, uh, just kind of moving along to some of the fan comments here. Abed Adra says, do you guys think Masvidal shit the bed on his superstardom? Many cringy moments pushing fans away. Negotiating with the UFC could have fought four times by now and made more money than he got. So, yeah, I mean, he's definitely done a lot to – I mean, I'll just say this. So before we jump into it, um, Talking about politics, I don't care who you are, you're guaranteed to split your audience. You just are. So if I told you guys what I believe in my political views, half of you would hate me. That's just the world we live in now. So I think that's I think that was, you know, you gotta stand up for what you believe in to a certain extent, but it's a strange thing to do. Uh and then of course he hasn't fought a ton. Um yeah, what do you guys think about that? And feel free to jump in. As as much as um 
like um it would have helped Masvidal to an extent to remain more active but at the same time I'll never point the finger at a fighter for holding out for what they're really worth that that is something that we should never criticize a, a fighter for especially someone like Jorge Masvidal who has toiled on every level of mixed martial arts for so long and was only a name to the hardest of hardcore fans that, that we recognize him as one of the best fighters in the world um, for a very long time. He was just always just one judge's scorecard away from kind of breaking, breaking into, in, into the mainstream consciousness. But as far as destroying his own brand, good God, this man could have wrote the instruction manual mm -hmm. on, on that um, man. I, I don't know what's going on um, with, with his management, but man, they need to get him a PR guy like yesterday. Um, he's someone who has who has gone out of their way to just attach themselves to a sinking ship of a brand. Um, it's just it's just marvelous, and the way he's he's used his his Twitter account to just spew disinformation and nonsense is fantastic like and then i don't know if you guys were watching this on twitter i i certainly was thoroughly engaged by the match between um his his manager abe kawa and uh the sporting news uh editor andreas hell i did and see just, that that was amazing yeah, it was just was like amazing. wow this is this is comedy gold because it, it's like it's like team masvidal has decided to just to to just go completely off the rails with a bunch of nonsense and and defend these baseless positions to the to the death it, it's like wow what are you doing like you just just shut up just don't say anything if you're gonna say stupid stuff it's better to just shut up and and, and that advice would have been very helpful for Masvidal in maintaining the the brand idea because i don't think we realize because we're in the bubble to the point where it's hard for us to see outside of mixed martial arts fandom what, what's going on. But Masvidal was like a legit, like mainstream attraction. This is a guy who was a star of a, of a reality show that had nothing to do with martial arts. This was also the guy who had, who, who had the rock, you know, bring him his belt, like this made up belt into the cage with the president in attendance. Like this is, this is a huge moment that Masvidal was steering the ship of and down the drain because you know you want to put false quotes about stuff that you don't know about on, on on twitter and have your manager defend you on some some foolishness it doesn't make much sense to me at all yeah I, like that that's one thing that i think is just a terrible look um this whole bickering matches that he keeps and then cow was in the in the comments as well as manager and you're just like lads this this is not the like I mean if you're an athlete and um you're trying to put your best foot forward publicly all the time, this is the exact opposite of that. And and to Anthony's point about how the stock and where it was, I did an interview with Jorge Masvidal last year, January last year, for MMIfighting.com at the launch of his uh his drink, whatever it was. Yeah, the um, tequila. Ricuerdo, Ricuerdo, I think his name. Something like um, that, yeah. But we were there and I got a real taste of that, like mainstream Masvidal situation, because I put up a picture or whatever on Instagram of me interviewing Masvidal, and people I had no idea even liked the sport, knew all about Jorge Masvidal, how amazing this is, and everything like that. And then I've seen the way he's been carrying on on social media and stuff. And as Jason said, like it feels like there's been a huge drop off in traction, a huge drop off in support. Um, for just the, the public figure that is Masvidal now, maybe that goes away when he fights again. But um, I feel like it's it's been a, been terribly handled by his, by his managers, to be honest. And the way they're getting involved with this stuff as well, 
I think it's crazy. How much can you attribute to the uh, the Usman loss? Not a lot because it was a win-win for him. He was coming in. He got his pay-per-view points. Um, he did like everybody knew that before he before the fight even happened. This is a win-win for Jorge Masvidal. So I don't think that's a factor at all. To be honest, I don't think it's as big as a factor of what's happening online with his social media. Yeah, I, I think we we've seen uh, fighters uh, with higher profiles or lower profiles even uh, maintain a lot of their their mainstream uh, credibility and whatnot after higher profile losses. So. Um, like Connor didn't vanish after he lost to Nate Diaz. He he didn't vanish after he lost to Khabib or Floyd. Um, and he won't vanish after Dustin. But I, but so so it's hard for me to say that the Usman loss just totally wrecked Jorge's ship. I think Jorge was doing his own damage to his brand before that fight. And, and quite honestly, it's the way the fight played out, a lot of people point to Usman as as the the wrong party in that one because of the style of fight he he chose to to go with so so more people seem to say hey usman is at fault and they, mm-hmm. and they use that their tired snoozeman line uh, when describing that performance so so he takes more the the responsibility in those type of fans eyes anyway reminds me of when anderson silva fought daniel cormier and that was back when daniel cormier was seen as the fake paper champ because john jones had all these legal issues and then the crowd turned around obviously after 214 and he, he popped again but it does remind me of that because everybody booed the crap out of dc everybody booed the crap at him they just wanted to see anderson silva score a knockout do something spectacular look like the old anderson and it just didn't go that way I guess yeah, like like Cormier took that body kick and then and he, yeah. he went to take Silva down and people were like, why did you take him down? Like, because he got kicked in the body. It hurt. Like, yeah, what, what do you think? Yeah. This guy's an Olympic wrestler. You think he's going to stand there and, and have a kickboxing match with Anderson Silva? It's just stupid. I love how honest DC is about that as well. Like, he's like, if you would have felt that kick, you would have taken yeah, him down like- yourself. You know, <laughs> holy shit. Do you remember the noise off it? Come on. Yeah. The for taking him down. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Supposedly, that's where Stipe got the, uh, you know, the idea to go for the body shots in the the second DC fight. So, um, oh yeah, that was a pretty revelatory moment that a lot of people didn't <laughs> catch on to, aside from Stipe. Well, uh, back to the Masvidal thing. Do you think that the um, if the Colby fight happens, do you think that, especially if he wins? Actually, I see Colby winning that fight myself. But like, do you think that he can regain back some of that magic if he gets a win over Colby and they do the Ultimate Fighter like people think they might? I think they like he would, but it might be like an artificial jump up because people would be thinking that he is the antithesis of Colby in that fight, right? Because Colby has been the big Trump guy, the most uh, outspoken for his beliefs and all that kind of stuff. I think if you put him and Masvidal against each other, a lot of people just watching are going like, I want Colby Covington to lose. They aren't thinking about the other side of it. I don't think Masvidal's comments have... um, you know, been as huge as, as Colby's were, like, and they've been going on for a long time with Colby as well. So I think that would probably provide him with a boost. Would it get it back to where he was straight after the Aspen KO? I don't know. I don't know if he can ever get back there. Like, I mean, that feels like the pinnacle, right? Where of, of Masvidal's career. Yeah, I'm I'm really divided on this one because I, I think like a build up for a regular fight, yeah, uh he can gain a lot of that traction back because people just can't stand Colby Covington. And, and that would that would really, especially now, considering that you know Trump lost the election and whatnot. Like 
um, Colby does doesn't have a gimmick anymore. Like Jorge didn't use that as a gimmick in, you know, in promotion. It's just, you know, his political beliefs. And and it came out after people recognize, you know, recognize him um, out just outside of our bubble. But, you know, so his brand isn't built on that. Like he can go and do other stuff and and that won't necessarily be a, a consistent talking point. Colby, on the other hand, can just be pointed out like, hey, this is all you got and you don't have it anymore. And so it, it'll just show more and more um, like a genuine rise that Jorge had as opposed to um, sort of the, the the WWE style promotion that that helped Colby in, in, in his rise. But I think if you go the ultimate fighter route, I think that's when things start getting a little dicey for uh, for Masvidal um, because he is definitely you know got the the street dude persona and whatnot and that rubs people the wrong way if you see it too often um and colby from what i understand i've never spoken to him um but you know friends in in the industry that have interviewed him and kept in contact with him when i say that like outside of that gimmick he's always been like a really really nice good guy we might start seeing that version of colby Hmm. like think about when john jones and chel sonnen had their their time on the ultimate fighter together and Chell Sonnen was the most obnoxious person in the sport and, and was always saying the craziest things and the, the worst trash talk. But we saw this humanity in him during that during that buildup to where, like, afterward, John Jones even liked him. Um, so I think we might have a, a flipping of the personalities. Think about Ronda coaching against Misha Tate in yeah. Ultimate Fighter and people turning against her because she was acting like a jackass <laughs> and, and through, through a lot of that season. Yeah. Um so so we have a serious potential of the the personality dynamics getting flipped on their head in the ultimate fighter that being said that's what i really want to see because i think we can have we might actually be interested in that show uh, just one more time with with that matchup yeah yeah and you're right too i mean i can even remember uh chael went and did the was the first season of tough brazil and he even managed to win over the brazilian crowd in that like i mean against a legend vandalay silver remember vandalay tried to fight him at the start and he was like he took off his sandals and yeah took him down (laughs) (laughs) yeah and um like i think that's actually i didn't even think about that till you said that like that is a perfect um kind of brand builder for colby isn't it like i mean i can remember even when this whole shit started off um you know, the MAGA stuff and all. He used to say it to interviewers beforehand, like, you know, oh, I'm only doing this to, to wind people up or whatever. And I think it became more a part of him as things went on. But lots of lots of journalists used to say that at the start. Oh, he's only, it's only putting it on to put the sale on. Around the time he went crazy in Brazil and uh, said some derogatory comments after he beat, who did he beat over there? Um, Was it Maya? Yeah. Maya, yeah. So around then, I can remember journalists openly talking about, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, like, you know, I'm just doing this for blah, blah, blah. And then as it went on, it became more of every fiber of his being is this guy. So, I mean, he needs to get Ant Walker as a manager after hearing that one, to be honest, man. That's a, <laughs> that's a stroke of genius. <laughs> uh, very interesting. Well, um, I guess to kind of uh, getting towards wrapping up here, do you guys have any um, just kind of overall thoughts about the card and I'll go ahead and pull it up just so we get a chance to kind of look at it. But, you know, we talked about Overeem versus Volkov. We talked about Sanhagen versus Edgar Pantoja versus, um, uh, Manel Cape, which is a huge, huge debut. What, what really stands out to you guys? Asker Askarov is on this card too, versus Cody Stamen. That's a banger of a fight. Diego Fajaya versus Benil Dariush. Um, 
Is there anything that you guys kind of wanted to touch on before we wrap up about this weekend's card? I got it's two not fights. Oscar, Oscar off. Oh, it's not. No, Oscar, it's Aster Aster. No, it's Aster Aster. Yeah. Get out of here. Very close though. I mean, yeah. we can't hold that one against yeah. Jay. That's very but if, close. But if Cody, if Cody gets, if if uh, something happens to him and he doesn't make it to the fight, they're going to get Asker, Asker, Asker uh, to to step in <laughs> for him. So it should be should should be a, a pretty pretty good fight. I think Asker wins that. But now, um, <laughs> the two fights that that I want to highlight on this card are violence for violence' sake. Like they're just going to be great action matchups. Michael Johnston versus Clay Guida is just pure chaos that has no relevance to the title picture. Yes, please sign me up. And then uh, I'm going to go Justin James and Devontae Smith. Just pure, just just chin cracking action. I somebody's getting somebody's getting slept in that. that that's all I'm saying. Um, oh, it's going to be those two fights are going to be a lot of fun. I think. I think one that nobody's really talking about is uh, Diego Ferreira and Benil Darius. Is that still on this card? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's an outrageous fight. Like, and those guys are sitting in a situation where I think they're both on five, six win streaks. Um, or maybe Benil just had his snap before his latest victory. But I mean, Benil has been there or thereabouts in that situation. He's just about to enter the elite of the division and he gets the slip. But he's looked fantastic. He's coming off a beautiful KO win, as far as I remember, over Scott Holzman. Yeah, look, he's on a five-fight win streak. I think Diego Ferreira's on a six-fight win streak. I mean, that has implications at lightweight again. And when we're talking about odd man out, maybe one of these guys ends up matching one of them. Look, it doesn't look like it's not going to be very appealing for those guys who are already in the conversation, but they probably need an extra body in there to play off one of these guys that isn't getting matched. So I think that has serious, serious implications at 155 of that fight. And maybe, maybe just a bit uh, under the radar at the moment. Uh, that is so Nick, uh, shout out to him. He actually does some work. Uh, I know he does some work with morning combat and he's done some work with Joe Laws on MMA and CES MMA. Uh, it's good to see you in the chat. He says, Mikey Rodriguez, keep an eye out. So I know he's done some work with Mikey Rodriguez. Mikey Rodriguez is coming off that just ridiculous, ridiculously bad, bad fight. Um, who was that against again? The uh, redhead guy. I'm forgetting the name with the uh, crazy ref situation. I'll look it up. Ed Herman. Oh, well, Ed also, Herman yeah, Ed Herman. Yeah. That was just the most Short ridiculous fuse. thing. Short fuse. Ultimate fighter alum. Been around forever. Um. Yeah, pretty ridiculous. So he's coming back. So let's see if he can get some retribution and rightfully get on the the win track. The crazy thing about that is they didn't overturn that shenanig those shenanigans, or at least call it a no contest. He ended up getting submitted. Uh, just a crazy, crazy uh, scenario there. Another big uh, and big one is um, Team Arvaliev is fighting. His first fight ended up in a no contest, Ooh. and this guy was shit hot. Like people were raving about this guy in the European scene. Uh, so obviously didn't get. I, I remember. I think that was the first fight of the night in his debut against Trevin Jones, and a lot of people were hugely hyped about it. It doesn't live up to expectation, and now all of a sudden he's completely under the radar for this fight against Martin Day. So keep an eye out for that one too. Martin Day is a sniper, too. So, I mean, that's a hell of a test. I mean, he doesn't have the greatest record on paper, but that dude can strike. Um, very, very, very sharp striker. Good Styles matchup because Valiev is good for the old takedowns, you know, as Russians tend to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. Uh, isn't Diego still ranked number six? Uh, somebody asked in the chat. The UFC has him ranked at number 10, so he got he got pushed back a little bit. He's on a six-point win streak, I think. I think. Am I wrong there? Let's let's double check that. Diego. People giving out shit probably. What the fuck is Pizzi talking about? 
<laughs> Not my first rodeo. <laughs> yeah, like I, I proved a couple times today that memory is like your enemy when it comes to trying to go off. Yeah, six off. point win streak. Six point win streak. Yep. Oban Mercier, uh, Jared Gordon, Kyle Nelson, Rustam Kabalov, Marbek Toysumov, and Anthony Pettis. He bet a Pettis at the Cerrone McGregor card uh, last a January. Huge win. So. He was meant to fight Drew Dober twice. Remember, they canceled and now Benil Dariush. That's a serious, serious fight, man. Yeah, very much. And, and it's it's crazy because he's, I mean, this 6-5 win streak, and we just really started paying attention to him pretty much after the Pettis win. Like, that, that's such a quiet win streak, and, and, and he did it in pretty exciting fashion, too. So I'm very interested in that fight. That That's one that's when it has actual implications. The ones I said are just, just pure chaos and foolishness, and I like chaos and foolishness. <laughs> but I mean, you're probably right, though, right? Because I think he bet Merbach. Merbach is a huge deal uh, in Russia. He was obviously had a visa issue for a long time where he couldn't fight in the US. And people are saying if this guy could fight, he'd be at the very top of that lightweight division. I think Ferreira bet him in um, Abu Dhabi, if I'm not mistaken. And that was a shock because yeah. Merbach and uh, all the guys from that region are like hero worship in those parts. They were like the fan favorites along with Habib. Uh, there was Islam Makashev there as well. So for him to go in and do that was a huge shock at the time. I completely forgot about it. Then he goes in against, does it against Pettis, and you're like, oh yeah, this guy is great. But there's a point there to what Anthony said because we are forgetting about this guy too easily. He needs to get a crazy haircut or something so he stays in our <laughs> imagination. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, uh, so let's just do let's do a rundown here. Let's do quick predictions. Um, so we kind of oh, talked no. about this up at the top, but who wins? Alistair Overeem versus Volkov. Uh, you're up, PT. Oh. <laughs> My picks have been shit lately, but Overeem. I'll go Overeem. KO. Nice, nice. Okay. Then uh, what do you think, Walker? Uh, I'm I'm going to Overeem by KO, but I think it, I think it's going to be a ground and pound TKO. Yeah, I think I'm joining. See, you blame Anthony. If you're if you're betting on this, blame Anthony and Jay. Nothing to do with me because my form <laughs> is atrocious at the moment. I think it's hard to disagree. I mean, he's just too versatile as a striker, and he obviously can handle himself on the ground extraordinarily well. I mean, he's been subbed by the best. He's ground and pounded the best. He's been on both ends of that coin so many times. Uh, Corey Sanhagen Thanks. versus Frank Yeager. Who you guys got? We'll start with you, Walker. Uh, I'm going to go Sanhagen. I, I think I think he gets it done by decision, I, but I think it's going to be a pretty lopsided decision. I, I I see him kind of piecing up Frankie in the first round, and it just going downhill from there. Yeah, I'm exactly the same there. I, I don't. I, Frankie doesn't go away easily. I think you need five rounds if you're going to put him away. So yeah, Sanhagen decision I think is the safe bet there. But don't actually bet on anything I predict. Thank you. <laughs> If there's any fighter to upend your expectations, it's always Frankie Edgar. Um, I still, yeah, thought, that's true. I still like resolutely say that he did a far better job than I would have ever expected in that Holloway fight. Those he like handedly lost the fight, but the rounds were closer than the final score necessarily looked like. Um, but so we got uh, Marion Renault versus Macy Chiasan. Uh, I think this is probably one of the lesser hype fights on the card, if I'm being honest, for the main card. But any thoughts on this one, guys? It's out of place on the main card for me because the card is so good. I don't think that fight is uh, of the same quality as the rest of the main card. Um, Renault's on a 3-4 fight losing streak, I think. Um, Macy, did Macy get back in the win column? But she, I think she's 1-1 one one in the last two. So I'm going to go with Macy decision there. But yeah, that that's my two cents on that one. 
Yeah, I, I think Macy wins the decision as well. And it's probably not going to be the most entertaining one. I, I see her kind of kind of getting like clinch battles and stalling out. And it's going to be more of a positional battle and but, but a, a win for her 30-27 decision. Yeah, so she's one in one recently. And uh, just to double check with Marion Renault, I do appreciate, you know, trying to give people a platform and trying to put a spotlight on the division and give the name, uh, give them some, you know, spotlight. But on the same token, it's, you know, probably uh, does a little bit better on the prelims, I would say. But then, yeah, so we move that one on. Um, yeah, I'm probably with you guys on, on Macy on that one. Martin Renault is as tough as they come, though. Uh, Pantosia versus Manel Cape. Does the newcomer champ coming over from Ryzen get it done versus Pantosia? Or does Pantosia, you know, kind of say, hey, this is the UFC. Welcome to the big leagues. I think Pantosia submits him personally. Huh. Wow. I guess we have some dissent. I, I think I think Cape <laughs> wins this one. I, th- I think he gets the finish. Uh, I think he gets a knockout. Um, it's going to be crazy. I, I think it's going to be chaotic no matter what. So, uh, But Cape gets it in, in my eyes. So Cape does have um, a loss to Horiguchi. I'm trying to think of, uh, obviously, he beat Kaya Sakura, who beat you know him. So un- unanimous Kaya Sakura. He also lost him in the past. I forgot about that. He did get submitted in that. So, I mean... I, I suppose it's either a decision if you go on uh, past his prologue type kind of thing with Manel Cape, it would be a submission or it would be a decision loss, but anything's possible. That's a tough one, man. I don't think I don't think that fight's beyond Cape. I just feel like bringing him straight into that fight is is crazy, especially when he's such a personality. Like you, like you guys know, you watch this guy in Royce and he's outspoken, he's aggressive, he's got a real personality. Like He's got that thing where you just want to watch him. Like, I don't think he'd be upset by starting a bit further down the food chain in the ranking still, but not against a guy who's only lost to, like, maybe the champion and the number one contender. I think that's that's a bit of a hard sell on your first fight for me. Mm. I think there's a bit of me that just wants to see the rising guys do well. It's like Yuri. I'm super big on Yuri and Manel Cape. I'm super big on him. But Yuri, right? Yuri's at 205. It's different over in Japan. They don't have talent like... You know what I mean? Like it's it, they're they're flying in talent. He's fighting the likes of Mo Lal, all these people. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I I just think it's a bit of a risk from the UFC for a guy that could be such a big commodity at one twenty five or one thirty five. That's what I saw majority of the fights I saw him in. He was at one thirty five. So yeah, it's it's a big jump. I feel. Yeah, it feels like a, a pretty important debut. Um, Cody Stamen versus Asker Askarov. <laughs> I'll just say it again. No, Asker Asker. <laughs> How dare they! Uh, I think Cody, just based on who he's fought, I'd go decision Cody. Yeah, same same here. I think the strength of schedule and he's prepared for for a fight. I mean, his his original opponent was uh, Andre Ewell, but you couldn't ask for a a completely different style matchup, like mm. just drastically mm. different. But I I think Stamen can go in there and just do what he does in good shape, and and still should be able to get the decision. Yeah, that's a tough agree. one. Not a whole lot of disagreements here. I, I agree on that one as well. All right, Diego Fejea versus Benil Dariush. We talked about this one a little bit, but who actually gets the win? I think it's a classic style matchup. Like, I mean, Ferrer, I think, is the better guy on the ground. Like, Benil is such a good KO artist. I mean, it's a very tough fight to pick, but um, I, I'll go Dariush KO for the crack, but I'm not, I'm not convinced. I'm I'm going the other way with the KO. I, I think Diego is going to get the KO. I so I see them both. They're both fantastic uh, submission specialists. I see that kind of canceling each other out, and mm-hmm. this being 
a, a striking battle. Both of both of them are got pretty good hands, but but I think uh, Darius's uh, suspect chin is, is going to come into play here, and and I, I see Ferrer getting it done. Man, yeah, no one's ever going to forget that flying knee from uh, Barboza. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, I think I'm leaning Diego Vejea myself. I just think um, I, I think he can get it done. It's it's a really really. Do you want me to act challenge. angry at the pick so we get a bit of you know drama going? Fuck you. Uh, so sick of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's bullshit. How man. dare you pick one of the two guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, cool guys. I think we're right around the uh, hour and a half mark, which is probably a good time to wrap it up. So, um, yeah, if you got any closing thoughts, uh, now's the time to uh, go for it. Um, I just really need to go to the toilet, to be honest. <laughs> 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 I don't know what to close with. Um, this was fun. Um, follow my YouTube channel, The Walkout Network. I will. Yeah, and just want to say this. <laughs> We've been wanting to have you on here for a while. Uh, obviously, you're one of our writers. You've been working for us for a long time. You're one of the people that's been working with us for the longest. So it's really good to have you on. Really appreciate you joining Killed us it. today. So. Killed it, Ant. Fair yeah, play. It's a good time. You've made and any time to work with my buddy. So, yeah, I, I loved it. Awesome. Well, well, it was a uh, PT, pleasure was all mine. Go ahead and give us the sign off, PT. I'll go ahead and start getting the music running and uh, fading up. So, Thank you very much for listening and all your beautiful comments. Apart from your respect, you're on the list, mate. But uh, hopefully, you know, Jay will be back from sparring with Jake Paul. Give us all the inside info um, and how he's preparing with Ben Askren in the near future. But until then... We love you guys. Thank you very much to Ant Walker. Exceptional job on his debut. We'll see you next week. Bye.